0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1.
0: Cubs related podcast presented by cubsinsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you in the wee hours of what is now technically Friday, September 11th in Chicago. It is about 1:12 in the morning. Uh, as the Cubs and Reds play, for whatever reason, uh, a game that featured a rain delay and then also then subsequently went uh, almost four and a half hours. So that's where we are. But it was all worth it, wasn't it, folks? Because the Cubs pick up the W on Thursday night, securing a series victory with the Cincinnati Reds. They take the first game on Tuesday and the final game on Thursday for uh, what amounts to, if my math is correct, Brendan, two out of three so two out of three right that is a very nice way to wrap up this series and we are happy to record this late as long as the flag is flying above wrigley field and the song is being sung so we have three games with the reds to take a look at a good bit of stuff happens there and we will break all of that down and we'll talk about everything in between and then at the end of course we will get ready for another weekend series with the Milwaukee Brewers, but Brendan, on a general level, this was a, a similar to other series we've seen. Monday, or excuse me, Tuesday, a, a pretty nice, like, clean three to nothing win uh, behind the arm of Alec Mills. Wednesday pretty frustrating. Losing to Trevor Bauer is always frustrating, Uh, and Hugh Darvish, you know, sort of uh, hurting his Cy Young standing a little bit by giving up three runs. That's the standard, unfortunately, when you're battling uh, the way Bauer's pitching and the way uh, Jacob deGrom, who is probably now the front runner is pitching. So that was frustrating. And then Thursday got off to a bad start. The Cubs trailing three to nothing in that one in the early going. But a nice comeback from the offense. Good job by the bullpen to hold it. And two out of three you'll take every time. Now the Cubs have a 99.2% chance
1: of making the playoffs, which is kind of crazy thinking about that given how Some of these games have ended up recently, but overall, that series was fun. The last game, in particular, was fun for the offense. Contreras going four for four, Nico having two hits, Cameron Maben with two hits. So that's good to see Mabin already being a contributor. So overall, there's a lot more positives than negatives from this Red Series.
0: Yeah, so before I get into the recap, just want to touch on one thing that we had talked about on the last podcast. I think obviously you guys are all aware of this because he played in the games on Wednesday and Thursday, but Jason Hayward is back. Uh, He tested, as we noted over the weekend, negative for COVID nineteen, and as he said, he did every test imaginable, uh, and I we didn't get like a final update on what they found or if they found anything. Hopefully they found nothing. Uh, but, you know, he just said he got a little scared when he felt, you know, the fatigue and, and shortness of breath and uh, being the good teammate and person that he is, wanted to get away from everybody as quickly as he could in case it, it was this virus. Uh, so that's why he left the game early on Sunday night uh, and he was back in there on Wednesday. So as we noted last time, the, the concern there was uh, on a human level that Jason was okay and healthy and it seemed that that is the case on a baseball level it's nice to get the guy who's currently the second best hitter on the team back in the lineup uh so with that let's get into these three games we'll keep it quick as always and then brendan and i'll break it all down on Tuesday, like I said, 3 to nothing a clean win, a nice showing from Alec Mills. We've talked about the pressure that is on some of these guys uh, not named Yu Darvish and Kyle Hendricks in this rotation, and Mills was up to the task on Tuesday. Six innings, four hits, no earned, three walks, and six strikeouts. He picks up his fourth win of the year. Uh, really good job by the bullpen that followed him for three innings. Dwayne Underwood Jr. with a hold, Ryan Tepera with a hold, and Jeremy Jeffress picks up his first of two saves in this series this one was his sixth the Cubs getting their runs on Tuesday via a David Bodie triple and a Javi Baez triple both of those triples with two outs so if you had the bingo card with two out triples you were really in business on uh, Tuesday night that was pretty much it three to nothing uh, five hits for the Reds no runs Four hits for the Cubs, three runs. So pretty clean, nice and easy. Uh, It was one of those games where it was three to nothing, but it kind of felt pretty comfortable for most of the night. Cubs got those three runs in the second and third and just kind of coasted from there. So clean and easy. On Wednesday, it was kind of the reverse of that. Uh, This one for the Reds. Uh, Hugh Darvish has a rough first inning, a couple of walks, uncharacteristic for him. We've we've noted how low those walk totals have been. Very rare. Uh, I. I don't even know the last time he walked two batters in the same inning. Uh, And unfortunately, it was a case of bad sequencing because he picked the wrong time to do that in front of a bad pitch to Mike Moustakis that resulted in a three-run home run. And that was it, basically, for the rest of the evening. Darvish ends up going six innings, allowing just two hits. Uh, Those three runs did walk three and struck out nine. Uh, it's his second loss of the year. He's seven and two. Trevor Bauer uh, was unfortunately really good. Uh, seven and two thirds, three hits, zero earned, zero walks, and ten strikeouts for Bauer. So it was one of those nights when you have two guys who are competing for the NL Cy Young. I, I do think that Degrom is the favorite now, uh, with both Darvish and Bauer sitting in the one sevens with their ERA. Pretty amazing that someone is better than those two numbers, uh, but. That's pretty much how it goes. Darvish uh, not sharp in that first inning and did a, a an admirable job. And I think really speaks to where you, Darvish, is at this point in his Cubs career specifically. That, you know, the command wasn't that fine in that first inning. He makes the bad pitch and Mustakas makes him pay, but he was lights out for the rest of the game. Still ends up with nine strikeouts. And, uh, you know, that was probably his worst outing in the. Very long time, and uh, it was still a really good outing. That line still looks really good, uh, was a quality start. Like, and unfortunately, when you're you know going up against uh, someone pitching the way that Bauer is, there's not much room for error. It's basically the reverse of what happened when these two faced each other last time. Bauer got taken deep twice by Anthony Rizzo, that was the difference in those games. Moustakis was the difference in this one, so that was pretty much it. Cubs only got three hits, and that is the story. On Thursday, the finale, it was the Cubs winning 8-5. to The Reds jumped out to a 3 to nothing lead on Cubs starter Adbear Alzulai, who ends up going three and two-thirds, three hits, three earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. Just an okay outing for Adbear. The Reds made a lot of hard contact, and of course, not being able to get length is not particularly great. But that is where the Cubs' rotation is at this moment. But after trailing three to nothing in this one, the Cubs come storming back with a five run fourth inning. Nico Horner with an RBI double, bringing home two. Ian Happ with a two run single. Some great base running by Nico Horner on that play. That was a ball that Happ hit into the shift with the uh, fielder in shallow right field. Nico came around to score from second and Hap was safe at first, uh, so all around just a nice play there. Rizzo with an RBI ground out to make it 5-3. to three. In the bottom of the fifth, the Cubs would add two more. A Cameron and Maven triple, and a Nico Horner grounding into a force out would bring in a couple more. The Cubs would add Another in the bottom of the eighth after the Reds got a little closer. They made it 7-5, to five, but in the bottom of the eighth, Wilson ripped a 113-mile-an-hour double into the left center gap to score Chris Bryant from first. It was another instance of the beauty that is watching Chris Bryant run around the bases. Uh, very few things more beautiful and aesthetically pleasing than watching Chris Bryant just run from first base uh, mm-hmm. to home in the game of baseball, especially on the Cubs. That made it 8-5, to five, and that is where we would finish this game. Uh, a nice job by most of the bullpen. Uh, Dan Winkler struggled a little bit. Weird spot for him to be in once again, uh, but that is... Something I guess Brendan and I just disagree with David Ross on, but uh, Kyle Ryan, Ryan Tapera, Jason Adam. Rowan Wick and Jeremy Jeffress all with nice clean innings. Uh, Jason Adam with three strikeouts in his inning of work. Jeffress picks up his seventh save of the year. He allowed a hit, but nothing else. His ERA sitting at a flat one. And it would appear that he is uh, pretty, you know, cemented as the Cubs' closer of this moment. So that was the series. Uh, again, the Cubs taking two of three, final eight to five. On Thursday, and I think the the place to start with this series, Brenton, un, unless you disagree, which you're certainly allowed to, is just kind of taking a look at this rotation. Uh, obviously, we know what to expect, and you know what what we're all thinking about you, Darvish. Uh, anytime a guy goes six innings, strikes out nine, and gives up three runs, and that's basically you know his worst start. that's a pretty good place to be. Uh, And I think we're all kind of shocked to see him give up those runs. He's kind of in that territory where when he gives up runs, you're kind of like, whoa, uh, this is weird. But Let's let's chat about Mills and Alzali. Uh, you know, again, we updated over the weekend. We I don't think we've gotten any further update on this, but you know, Chatwood and Quintana did indeed both resume their throwing programs. We don't have a timeline on that. There's only fifteen games left, so I'm not really sure what we're even looking at there, but at least those guys are attempting to get back in the fold. Uh but I thought for what they needed out of Alec Mills. Uh, I thought he he did a good job on Tuesday. That was a good start for him. Um, I, I wouldn't have sent him back out there for the six like Ross did, but he got through it and, you know, ended up uh, getting that quality start. So uh, happy to eat crow there. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, not a great outing for Alzali. So, you know, we talked going into this series that it was kind of an opportunity for him to step up and, and really kind of take that rotation opportunity and secure it. If he had been really good in this game, you know, I think no doubt going forward, like that's his spot, even if some of these other guys are able to work themselves back. I I assume he still gets another turn. uh, But you know, this, this wasn't a great outing. uh, And it's, you know, been uh, a little bit of a struggle for him at times, in this 2020 season, so still sort of leaves this rotation with at least a little bit of uncertainty. But uh, the Cubs won both of those games, uh, just like you drew it up, right? They lose the Darvish start, they win the Mills and Adbert start. But uh, what are you what are you thinking about these two guys in particular, and and maybe this rotation going forward?
1: Well, I thought Alzolay start was disappointing, and more data came out over the last week since, or last few days since we last potted. And I don't know where I am with the middle of this rotation at this point. We have Mills who's serviceable, right? I mean, for the the rest of the regular season, this is fine. He can start. That's fine. Looking ahead towards a playoff-type scenario, I'm looking at a spot after Hendricks and Darvish, and I'm not finding much comfort there. And even if this is what Mills ends up doing the rest of the season— I'm still not comfortable with that. Mills doesn't get many whips. He has a 4.7 ERA, which is you know it's fine, but his fifth is five is 5.2. Nothing really does it for me with Mills at at this point. Alzolai, oh, like I want him to be so good. His stuff looks so good at times, but he's he's missing that last final step. I I, I don't know what it is with Alzolai, but one reason why I was so excited about him on the last pod was because I thought he did make the changes he needed to make to optimize some of his stuff. And the one change I highlighted was that release point. And I was interested in that because last year, his curveball, his active spin rate, like the amount of spin that contributes to movement, it was some of the worst in the league. And so that made no sense to me because that's what he was known for. He was known for having his curveball. But it wasn't translating to actual numbers. So I thought, okay, maybe he's throwing a new sinker. He's throwing faster. He changed his release point. Maybe now the curveball will follow suit. Nope, not what happens. So new data came out. His curveball active spin rate exactly the same as last year. Still well below league average. So that's not, that's not going to work. He's still finding that secondary pitch. It's great that he has that sinker. I love that. I love the way it complements his changeup, but his changeup is not... Uh, lock me down, big league starting secondary pitch. He needs that secondary pitch. He doesn't have it right now, so I'm a little suspect in where we can turn. We have Lester, who's serviceable, right? I mean, he's an aging veteran. I love John. I'll give him the ball in a playoff start if we need to, but you still want to have some guys that have that have more whips, like a Darvish, like a Hendricks, like a, a Chatwood if he's on and, and if he's healthy. So that's that's where I'm at. Alzalai was disappointing. I I don't know what to expect. I really hoped that his curveball would would match some of the changes he made and at least right now we're just not seeing that.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I I was uh also, you know, kind of disappointed just in Adbert tonight. Um, you know, look, it's it's a tough spot, right? He's been sent up and down every time he's he's come up uh you know to make these starts and stuff like that and you know that's kind of been the the story of his career to a degree um you know kind of the cubs kind of taking their time to give him a shot and so it's a tough spot to come in and, you know, have that pressure and, uh, you know, to pitch tonight. Uh, the, the Reds have some good hitters in that lineup. It was raining for most of the game. So, you know, I, 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 I give him the credit that this is not an easy role to just slide into and succeed in. Um, but you're just going to, for what the Cubs need, it, it you just need better than that. So it's a tough spot, but, you know, not even being able to go four innings, walking guys, a lot of hard contact uh yeah, the the, I mean, the defense, command was off too yeah i mean the the defense probably could have been better around him for certain portions of this game um a little sloppy on the defensive end uh tonight from the cubs on thursday uh but again like you just need you need more than anything you just need that length and and you know david made the decision the right one tonight to uh go to the bullpen early to keep the game close and it ended up being the right decision because the offense was able to make a comeback the bullpen uh you know sort of started right after ad bear by kyle ryan ryan tapera and jason Adam. Uh, a lot of first names there um two guys in that group that have two first names it's interesting uh it doesn't mean anything but i thought of it so does it? you guys have to listen to it um so a good job by them and you know it was ultimately the right decision but yeah I mean as far as you know uh, who you're turning to in big spots in the rotation and stuff like that it it certainly didn't offer any confidence I think Mills was perfectly fine on on Tuesday for what you're looking for I think the fact that for sure the Cubs right now don't have somebody cemented sort of in that traditional third spot right Or, or someone that is like clearly that next man from Darvish and Hendricks you know is it's not fair to hold mills to that standard right like that's that's not what you'd be hoping for alec mills to to be necessarily the third best starter on your team uh so i think for what he's being asked to do and and what the Cubs need. Him being able to go those six innings, not give up any runs, uh, and limit them to four hits, I I, I thought was a a really nice showing. Uh, You'd like to see, you know, three walks is pretty dangerous, uh, especially, you know, against uh, a Reds team like this, and we saw this with Darvish. Like, you know, they're they're a bad team to, to walk because they do have some guys that can that can bash. Uh they they also have some really bad parts of their lineup. Uh but either way, uh you'd like to see that walk total come down, but I thought it was a good start for Mills. Um and you know, good to see him continue to rebound. He's had some rough starts in there. Uh and him being able to keep getting back out there and and deliver winnable ball games for this club uh is 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 really big. And you know, just especially where this team is and the schedule and and the unorthodox nature of all of this, like I'll take him giving six shutout innings in a in a meaningful game in September every time. So uh, that was that was a big start from Alec. But yeah, I mean it's it's kind of going to be a, a constant evaluation w- without knowing. I I, I would assume, uh, and again, I don't know this, but it would seem to reason, right, that Q and Chatwood are not going to be able to start games, maybe as openers, right? But they've both been hurt uh, for different periods, but significant portions of this season, Q obviously more so than Chatwood, Uh, but to expect them to come back and be able to give you four or five six plus innings just doesn't seem realistic to me um that concerns me man like yeah
1: especially in these bigger playoff series if they get there you need four starters and we don't even have a third or fourth one that's cemented in well, right now so
0: yeah, Ugh. let's get through that first uh, three game series first That's after they let's point. clinch the playoffs
1: first. That's a fair point. I'm thinking like Ross right now. Yeah.
0: Uh, so yeah, I think it's going to be a, a constant evaluation. I mean, hopefully you can get both of those guys healthy and to the point where they can throw multiple innings. Uh, and you know, maybe this stuff plays up and you know, Ross and Tommy Hotovy are going to have to figure out how they want to piece some of these things together, you know, get a couple innings out of this guy, a couple innings out of this guy, and just sort Of go based off of the matchups and what team they're playing and you know what those strengths are and you'd have a nice mix of guys that can bring some velocity, guys throwing from the left side, guys that can throw, uh, you know, and change speeds a little more. It it, it's it's not necessarily how you draw it up, but it does seem possible that if you can get all these guys healthy, you do at least have a good variety of repertoires and sort of pitch styles to play around with. And perhaps you can sort of morph that into a really effective third or fourth starter if one of these guys uh, doesn't sort of play up over these next few weeks. In, in looking long term, though, like, I'm very much hoping that the start on Friday is is the beginning of, uh, you know, a a sort of rebound for John and that unless he gives me a reason not to, as I've said a million times, like I'm giving him the ball in the playoffs uh, because he's been lights out in the playoffs his whole career. So until he proves that he doesn't deserve that ball, uh, I'm giving it to him. But again, we're getting ahead of ourselves. It's just something to consider. Uh, The Cubs are in a good position as it relates to the playoffs. They find themselves in a pretty good spot as it relates to the division with uh, 15 games left. But it is something to keep an eye on that, you know, we still kind of have to monitor the way uh, the three through five spots in this rotation are going, and then obviously seeing what Mil, uh, excuse me Quintana and Chatwood are able to offer, if anything, in, in sort of working their way back from these injuries. So that's the status of the rotation. Want to turn quickly. Uh, we might as well just stay... Well, I guess we do the bullpen at the end, so let's just stick with that. I was going to say let's stick with pitching, but we'll go to the offense, and then we'll we'll stick with our let's talk about the bullpen at the end uh, thing. This was uh, an up-and-down series for this offense, though they do face uh, some good pitchers. As much as it annoys me that Tyler Malley is able to strike them out, this time it was 10 times. Uh, he does have a sub-4 ERA uh, and has put together a pretty decent season for himself. Uh, part of that is on the back of the of these two Cub starts, but... Um, It's it's a frustrating series. So they they strike out 10 times against Malley. They strike out 10 times against Bauer. And then they did uh, a much better job against Sonny Gray and really the Reds pitching staff as a whole on Thursday. They took seven walks. They ended up striking out a total of 11 times. uh, But that was with a bunch of relievers and they were able to put up eight runs. So a a much better offensive showing from this group on Thursday than earlier in the season. Uh, But a couple things that I want to zero In on. Uh, We did see a better game on Thursday for Chris Bryant. uh, So that was nice to see. Mm -hmm. Chris going two for four, hit a ball really hard uh, in one of those at bats. That was nice. Also took a walk. OPS is up to 600. Uh, That's a weird place to be. (laughs) Javi's now uh, under 600. So, you know, if you're keeping track of those things, that's where that's going. Um, But it was, you know, again, like KB's a a weird, a a weird guy to be sort of diagnosing at this point. Um, but what I would say is those swings looked good. He's His eye is still good. The base running is still good. Um, you know, so hoping that a breakout or at least sort of, you know, continuing to sort of tick back up to those career norms uh, is somewhere in the cards for him because I thought he looked good uh, from a visual perspective on Thursday. And I wanted to touch on Wilson Contreras. So one of the things that we've been talking about with a lot of these guys is that some of them had just been performing lower than their career norms and some of them lower even than league average. And given the this team's record and where they were in the standings, it, it would just be nice to see them get back to Even league average or a bit above league average, rather than some of these guys being in the cellar. Uh, Bryant and Baez are still there. Javi looks terrible. I got to be honest with you guys. I mean, it struck out three times in five at bats uh, in the game on Thursday, and just doesn't look right. Uh, He had that triple in the game on Tuesday, and you know, sort of again like he did in you know with that uh, multi-homer game uh, earlier this year. You kind of looked at that and you go, okay, like maybe this is that moment, but uh, then you know just sort of follows that up with uh, an 0 for nine stretch in the last two games of the series with uh, five strikeouts, so that was not good. I I don't know what's up there. I I really don't. Um, yeah, I it, we could keep having the same conversation about KB and Baez. Pretty much every episode, because you know they they just don't. Bryant looked good in that game on Thursday, but didn't look good, uh, you know, in that first game, uh, and you know, so it didn't play in that game on Wednesday because he got hit in the elbow uh, in that game on Tuesday. So I, I don't know with those guys, y'all. I really don't. It's it's a short season, and it, this is just sort of what's happening. Um, but with Wilson, wanted to point out. Had a really good series, uh, goes 4-for-4, four four, uh, also takes a walk, so was on base five times in the game on Thursday. Had that big insurance run with the double uh, late in that game on Thursday and and his numbers have quietly crept back up. So reading this one from Matt Clapp at the blog finds, friend of the podcast on Twitter, and he pointed out that with the night on Thursday, again, four for four with the walk, he has found himself sort of at his career numbers. So his career slash line uh, was 265, 350, 464 with a 115 WRC plus. And on the 2020 season, he's now at 261, 361, 464. 430 with a 114 WRC plus so very in line with where he's been in his career and I think Wilson is a good example of a guy who the expected numbers if you look at some of that Statcast data the batted ball data where he's hitting balls the angle he's hitting balls the exit velocity on these balls they've all been pretty uh, bullish on on Wilson that that his numbers should probably be better than they were showing at times and you know that the game on Thursday and kind of his overall numbers now you know sort of starting to creep back up with matching that and it's just one of those examples that in a pretty short span these numbers can change pretty drastically that's kind of the deal with a, a short season I mean they've only played forty five games so we'd be in what mid May in a regular season so. It's, it's all just to say, and, and kind of why we talk about KB and Javi the way that we do in that it's it's a short season and we, we consider moving them down because there's only 15 games left and you're just sort of trying to react to what you're seeing. But it's a good reminder and seeing Wilson's numbers creep up like this, it's a good reminder that this is still a really small sample and it's tough to know, as we always say, to kind of reconcile it's only 45 games. How much do I want to put weight on what's happening here, and kind of trying to reconcile that with well, there's 15 games left. So if it's going to happen, it kind of needs to happen right now. Uh, but really just wanted to highlight Wilson and and note that you know he's he, he's had a good season and it, and it's nice to see those numbers kind of matching I think the way the, the the eye test has looked for the majority of the season and like I said those expected numbers he's hit the ball well uh, in general his his approach was really wild at the beginning of the season and we noted that his k rate was astronomical and you know we talked about how that's just not really him and like at some point you'd kind of expect him to sort of look like Wilson and Contreras again and he does so that's that's a good thing and I certainly wouldn't be opposed to him uh you know he hit fifth in the lineup on Thursday with Schwarber taking a day off wouldn't be opposed to Contreras swapping with one of Bryant or Baez while we kind of try to wait and see if they can hit their way out of these things but uh a a really good series for Wilson and and nice to see those season that season line kind of looking more like himself You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. After we record this episode, I'm going to kick back, watch some Sunday Night Baseball, and order from one of my favorite local spots on DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday,
1: Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFL Sunday, You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFL Sunday, is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, Wilson, as you said early on, the, the big concern there was the strikeouts. And coupled with the strikeouts, well, he just was not walking, not seeing as many pitches as he usually sees. Now his walk rate This year of about 9% is within his career norm. So he's seeing more pitches. He's hitting mistake pitches extremely hard in that Thursday game. Had one uh, single at 109 miles per hour. That one blister double in the gap was 113 miles per hour. So he's hitting the ball hard and he's seeing more pitches. This is what lines up with most of Wilson's career. The, not issue, but the the. The hard thing to reconcile this season is this short sample size, the small sample size. And we saw just a week or two weeks ago, these numbers can kind of trick you, right? Like he was well below league average offensively. Now his WRC plus is above league average, and he's right within his career norm. So it also makes me think th- this this could happen to you know Javi, KB. And it, it's, it's not crazy to think that. All it takes is a few games here to have KB back looking how he's always looked. And in that Thursday game, personally from watching him since he's been back with all these injuries, he that, that was probably the best offensive day for him. I know there were only two singles, but that last at-bat, that last single up the middle, that was a 96-mile-per-hour fastball down and in. And KB this year struggled against those inside uh, fastballs, and he blistered it, 103 miles per hour right up the middle. And there's been a lot of weak contact from KB. His exit velo crazy to even look at this, but his exit velo is worse than almost 95 percent of hitters this year. So you want to see KB get these harder hit balls, and we saw that in Thursday. We saw Contreras as well let the ball. Even Javi with the force out, he hit one ball 108 miles per hour, but he's reaching outside the zone doing it. He's swinging into everything. He's striking out so much. Javi's kind of in a different world right now. But I mean, similar to how we talked about a few weeks ago, when he is making contact, it is harder contact than league average. It's just a matter of him making more contact. And I don't know what the solution is at this point, but I love seeing Wilson... Hit the ball harder in the last few games, take more pitches. It's good to see KB kind of showcasing some normality in that last game on Thursday. So all in all, there are positive trends here, despite Javi still looking a little iffy.
0: It looks like Ross is just going to stick with this and is going to operate under, you know, this is the lineup that we want. We need to get those guys going. And, you know, our success is kind of going to hinge on them, figuring it out by the time we get to the playoffs here. I it's It's not how I would do it. Um, I I, I really just think lock that playoff position up try to lock up the division it sounds like the reports are that the uh, that first series uh, is not going to be in the bubble so there is an advantage to winning the division and and getting home field uh, perhaps I, I don't know if they made that official yet as we're recording this on Thursday night but that was the rumor that was going around um that at least for that first round there was going to be some sort of advantage to actually finishing with a higher seed um so and you know again like not to bring up old wounds but we've we've you and I were texting Brendan that we were joking about how uh you know we were seeing tweets from people that were like oh if the Cubs go (laughs) eight and eight and this team does this and the Cubs win the division blah 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 and it just you know it it it, like triggers me because you and I were sending those texts in 2018 (laughs) about the division and 2019 (laughs) about the division and going okay well like there's no way the Cubs are going to play like this and there's no way the Brewers are going to win this many games right and Uh, both times we were wrong so we were looking at these matrix uh matrices is that what it is you're the matrices matrices nice okay I nailed that um good job you know, we're looking at that and going like, oh, okay, here's the Cubs, you know, and in both times they, you know, they end up not winning the division in 2018 and missing the playoffs altogether in 2019. So what I'm saying is, is I would like to see more urgency out of this This group and the way that it's being managed. I know that it's an unorthodox season. I know that, you know, especially players health and the conditioning, a lot of people getting injured. I think there were several pitchers that left games on Thursday uh, with various injuries. And so I I get it, and I and I can't know what they're doing in that regard and stuff. But just would like to see more of like uh you know go for the jugular, you know what I mean? Like this weekend too against the Brewers, like put them out of it, you know? Like mm. some of this stuff, like like and we I you know I don't know how much time we want to spend on some of this stuff, but just like the the riding of KB and Javi in those two and four spots, despite how they've played starting Vargas on Wednesday for who knows what reason like you 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 don't have anything locked up put the best 9 on the field every day align them correctly based on the pitcher and whatever you're doing and just try to win those games we can figure out getting guys right and all that other stuff once you've locked all of this up but but that's just not you know, and again, like, maybe it's the right way to do it, the way Ross is doing it. It's just not from sitting on my couch at home how I would be doing it. Like, I just, again, like, it's only 45 games, and what you're doing in regard to the lineup doesn't have to be an indictment on everybody. I, I think we've said this a million times. Like, Nobody should think that KB and Javi are bad because they've played bad in 45 games, right? But clearly, right now, someone like Hayward is a better hitter than those two guys. Right now, if we're making a lineup for tomorrow, that's just how it's gone in this short sample. Same with someone like Wilson Contreras. If you move, if you swap those four guys, right— and over the course of a few games, KB and Javi look just like they always have, right? For years, move them back up. What's the big deal, right? But just for now, it's, it's just a little crazy to have your two and four hitters. Uh, like your two and four hitters right now almost have a lower combined OPS than Ian Happ alone, right? Like that's just crazy to me. And I know we keep railing on this. I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing about it. But it's to me, it's just weird every day seeing that lineup and like the two and four are exactly the same. It's it's just weird to me. But maybe maybe he's right to do it that way. Uh, but anyway, before I go on a four-hour rant about that, can you guys tell that I'm not happy about the lineup? Um, <laughs> anyway, one other thing I, I wanted to talk about as it related to the offense, uh, and I think we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, maybe. I don't listen to this podcast, so I don't really know what we talk about. Uh, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. So I miss out on Brendan's insight because I can't stand the sound of my own voice. We know. Yeah. Um, but I I really, I'm really happy with the Cameron and Mabin edition. I think that this team is doing some weird stuff. Like we didn't talk about it all, uh, calling up Vargas and sending down Jose Martinez, uh, which I think is pretty weird. Um, not. I wasn't as mad about it as some uh, folks were on Cubs Twitter, but it was still weird. It's the process. Yeah, still weird. That's, that's why. Um, yeah. but maybe I think is, it. it's just such a good move. And I think, you know, one, we've already heard that, you know, he's, he's a good clubhouse presence, a veteran, uh, someone that, you know, clearly if you're just sort of like observing things has, has fit right in and getting along with guys and, uh, providing that. Uh, but he's he's just i think exactly what you're looking for in a bench platoon player, right like he's not necessarily great at anything, but he's pretty good at a lot of stuff, and he's hit the ball well he's had some really nice swings. I know Brendan is a big fan of his baseball fashion, and yeah. i i I just like it it's and and not to take this opportunity to drag Elmora though you guys know i wouldn't necessarily be opposed to it um this is the role really that they wanted Almora to play right to be a guy that could spell in the outfield get some of these platoon starts play uh, you know pretty good defense run the bases pretty well and be a you know reliable ish hitter and be able to contribute on offense in some of these games. And, you know, again, on Thursday, Maven goes two for five. He drives in a run, uh, scores two runs. It, it's just, again, like he, he's, he's not, like, great at anything, but that's what you're looking for in a guy coming off the bench, and it's not something that they had before they made that trade. So uh, I think that that was a good move, and it's, it's something I'm, I'm really liking uh, so far.
1: Maybe he's coming off for a year with the Yankees, too, where he had a WRC plus of 127. So he's not coming off several years prior to being good. He was good a few months ago. So, and he's he's not really this like traditional platoon player. Even last year, he had better numbers against righties. So that kind of signals to me, there are certain matchups against right-handed hitters that are favorable to Maben that maybe the Cubs have data on or they have insight on of when to use Maben against a particular hard-breaking pitcher. And maybe that's the type of skill set that offsets some of the Cubs' weaknesses. And I saw that today, right? You see a really heavy-breaking pitcher with Sonny Gray with that slider and then that fastball that goes up and in, right? And Maben starts today and he gets two knocks. And maybe he's that type of counterweight we've been talking about for years to so trying to get someone different uh, on this team with a different approach maybe maybe it is that person so i love it i like the energy he brings to i mean he is a team guy mm-hmm. we've heard about his veteran presence in the years past i i like it i like the athleticism it's it's fun to watch i don't know what his role is i think the whole lefty platoon thing i was into the jose martinez thing man and i'm not saying that particular move is like a tipping point type move but he had 14 plate appearances yeah. and he had i think only eight or nine against uh, left-handed pitchers so if you're going to bring a guy in and we're going to bat javi and kb two and four every single day because you have the intent to get them going for the playoffs then why not use that same strategy with jose martinez and they just gave up like a, a decent prospect right. for him with pedro martinez a 19 year old infielder so i i i don't understand the process do I think it's a tipping point problem I I don't but I want to see some obvious moves some yeah. some moves that make sense and I'm kind of scratching my head trying to figure out what's going on here
0: yeah it I mean it was admittedly a little confusing and I I obviously I follow all the beat writers I I haven't really seen them talk about this uh and you know this really isn't like anything against Ildamaro Vargas but wow no for the life of me, I can't tell you why he's starting against Trevor Bauer in the middle of a pennant race. I, that's just weird. <laughs> I mean, and I don't, you know, n- no Kipness, no Nico, no Bodie, like, I, you know, and and KB was out in that game. So I, you know, maybe there's something there. I don't know. But it's it's just weird. Like, this guy wasn't even on the team. And you bring him in, you send Martinez down, and you've got Vargas starting against a guy that's a Cy Young candidate in games you need to win. Uh, It just is weird to me. It's a weird move by the front office, a weird move by David Ross to start him. I was pretty perplexed at that. Um, You know, this is just strange. I mean, that's really what it is. It just is is strange to see this. And, you know, again, I think it just sort of goes to, like, when we're on the outside looking in, maybe there's logic to it that we don't know or that we're just not privy to. But from the outside looking in, like I saw that lineup on Wednesday and, you know, obviously KB was out because he got hit in the elbow. It was really swollen, um, you know, and then was able to come back on Thursday. But, you know, you've got Caratini in the sixth hole who has struggled. You know, he's got a 619 OPS in these 45 games, so uh, hasn't been a great offensive year for him. And then you've got Vargas in this lineup hitting ninth. It just felt like you're you know kind of starting on the wrong foot when you're going up against a guy who runs and hits and opportunities may be at a real premium especially when uh, KB wasn't in this game but Javi was in this game and you know hasn't been hitting so just a, a very curious move and, and maybe they want Martinez and South Bend so that he can just be doing the daily work but why I, he can't be doing that at Wrigley Field or wherever they're playing and taking BP I don't know just weird just weird and like one of those moves where i like i think you're describing brendan where it's just sort of hard to like figure out what the the process is like what the intent is there uh and yeah a a good bit of people were not super thrilled that pedro martinez was the prospect included in that not necessarily that they think pedro martinez is like a sure thing or this uh can't miss prospect but was at least a real prospect, right? And you know, you've got Jose Martinez in South Bend, so it just is a little weird. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. There's been all that, some curious stuff weird, from this front yeah. office at times, and uh, from David Ross over the last few weeks. But hey, uh, I don't know, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I, thing. I, it's, I, I, you know, I don't know better than them. But sometimes it's just one of those things where I would like to be able to understand. understand it. Yeah.
1: Well, I feel like we have in the past few years too with the moves. Like we can see, oh, you signed Jason Adam. Okay, that makes sense. You have high spin rate. You signed Dan Winkler, even though he's been sucking, but he had high spin rate too. Like those those moves made sense. But you look at these and there there's nothing that's public that makes sense to it. So there has to be something internally that's giving them reason to do all this. I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think that I think that makes sense. But it's, you know, and it it does all sort of go to what we have talked about a lot, where I I think it's especially hard for fans to understand what's going on in such a short season, like maybe they have a clearer idea of what they're doing. It's just not easy to communicate it all the time. Um, But it's it's always just kind of odd when there's several moves where like, pretty much the totality of the fan base that's like really dialed into this stuff is scratching their head like what Mm -hmm. you know like it's it's weird when like brett from bleacher nation and evan from cubs insider and you know just some of those people like collectively are like i have no idea what they're doing (laughs) you know what i mean like i i don't know i couldn't tell you but hey they took two out of three, they're in first place, so whatever, do whatever you want, right? At the end of the day, I always say I don't have any dogs in this race, I don't care who's in that lineup as long as the team wins, so just figure out ways to win games. But with that, uh, let's talk about the bullpen uh, for a little bit, and I think the circle of trust, as we always say, I think the circle of trust is guys we we trust in games and games that they're, you know, trying to hold leads or keep competitive and stuff like that. You know, then there's a a group that maybe is just kind of like, okay, this guy can pitch whenever, like just get him innings, get him mop up work, whatever. And then there's that smaller group of high leverage relievers. Um, I think the circle of trust is expanding a little bit. I, I, I think this has been a process that we've been monitoring pretty closely, pretty much all off season, and then certainly when this season started, and it started really badly, right? Really badly, uh, just like we all knew it would. But slowly, as we've tried to be patient with this and give some of these guys opportunities, I think they've they're doing what we were hoping all along. And I think by the end of this, they're going to end up with a pretty nice bullpen, and they and they've had some 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 success with this uh, so far. Uh, I know you were saying that. You know, Kyle Ryan's uh, Velo has been ticking back up. He's looked pretty good. I like Jason Adam. We've talked about him since he came up Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, that he's got—I mean, he's obviously bringing the heat with what he's throwing, has some good off-speed pitches, and the results are, are now sort of starting to catch up with that. Uh, Wick looks good. Jeffress has been unbelievable. I mean, that talk about a signing that has gone literally as well as it could possibly go. I mean, he's been lights out uh, and he's got that attitude when he's on the mound. That's awesome. And something I think this team has has needed more of that edge, you know, Uh Tapera, I think is in that group. He's got the stuff that can get you those whiffs in a pinch. Dwayne Underwood has been good over his last several outings. Uh, and one guy that we need to talk about. If I were wrong about it, I would have started the podcast with it. Uh, but in the game on Wednesday, Craig Kimbrell throws an inning. He gives up a hit, but strikes out two. No walks, no runs. And from friend of the podcast, Jordan Bastion of MLB and Cubs.com, he noted that Craig Kimbrell on Wednesday, you are hearing this correctly. Okay, I checked this. Craig Kimbrell just set a Cubs record with his ninth straight relief appearance within the confines of one season back to 1901 with two plus strikeouts. He was tied with Lee Smith, who did so in eight in a row in 1983. So this has been a good stretch for Craig. I am nowhere near letting him in the highest of leverage spots. I'm not letting him uh, come into save spots just yet, uh, and I would be very careful with him, but I do think that he has earned the right to pitch in higher leverage spots. I think he's clearly in a different place than he was in the beginning of the year. The command is pretty blatantly better. He's getting those whiffs. He's able to get whiffs on both his fastball and his curveball. He's able to locate those pitches better. The confidence seems to be better. So again, I'm not at all... Putting him as the closer like a one run lead, a two run lead. I think you're nuts to try that again, right? But I do think that he's inching his way back up there in terms of this this bullpen hierarchy. And I think it's a it's a testament to the process that they've gone through. When this first started, David Ross said, This is gonna be a process, right? Like we're gonna have to commit to this. It's not going to happen overnight we're going to have to be patient with this. And that's what they've done. And I think for the most part, we've, you know, we've disagreed with, I think, one or two spots maybe that he came into. Uh, But in general, I think they've been a lot better with when to use him and being careful with that. And it's, it's paying off for them. So, you know, where he ends up by the end of the year and exactly what that usage is going to be, I'm not positive. But this is clearly been a process worth doing, and the result is that they have a usable Craig Kimbrell. You remember that when he came into that one game where they tried to shoehorn him back in there in high leverage, and I came on here afterward, and I said they made the mistake of treating the progress as progress getting him back to you know, save spots and the highest leverage spots where the progress should have been indicating that he's a usable reliever, right? And that's for sure where he is at this point, right? And and so that's, that's a testament to this process. And it's, you know, it should certainly provide some optimism. Again, he's someone who's kind of like some of these hitters where it's just like, if he can keep, ticking in the right direction and ultimately by the time we get to the end of the season here after these 15 games and head into the playoffs where he's you know one of your top few relievers that's really all that's going to matter right none of us are going to care about those blown saves earlier in the year and the walks and you know all that stuff the game in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh none of us are going to care if he's in a spot where he is a usable and potential high leverage reliever by the end of the year and the progress has been ticking towards that. That curveball is looking sharper. The command
1: still is probably not where it needs to be, which is why Ross is not using him in those ninth innings. But it's getting there. Like we've taken baby steps week by week now, and we've had few setbacks in between, which is which is what you want. And hopefully, in the next fifteen games, he gets to that point where you are deciding, okay, do you want to use Jeffress here or Kimbrel here in this type of high leverage situation? But Jeffress has been everything. We need and everything that I think the Cubs wanted for a ceiling. I mean, the one thing with Jeffress that that impresses me is he's doing this differently than years before, and he's changed his pitch repertoire really dramatically in a COVID shortened season with a new team. That's got to be difficult to do. He's throwing a split finger pitch once every three pitches. He used to only throw a splitter about. Two times every twelve pitches, so this is a, this is quite a bit of an increase. And he's starting at bats backwards. He's throwing more knuckle curveballs and splitters on an 0 count, so just your first pitch of your at bat, than fastballs. So he's he's definitely a different pitcher. And I like that because there's not much information for the opposing team to go off of. This is not the same Jeffress we saw with Milwaukee or any other team in years past. This is almost a new pitcher, And so with Jeffress and Kimbrell looking better, I'm also interested in what Jason Adam can do in a more higher leverage role. Adam we talked about during spring training, and we liked him because he does have that, that spin rate. He had a fastball spin rate in 2018 and 2019 that was better than 99% of the league this is a legitimate fastball and he has that weird release point this is like this short arm wacky looking thing I can't explain it but it looks like a pain for the other hitters to pick up so Adam's looking good Campbell's taking baby steps Jeffress is looking great Wick is status quo. Tapera continues to be one of the most whiffable pitchers in the league, which I love. He's right in that eighth or ninth inning discussion. Underwood still looking good. So it's shaping out. And I know this changes on a weekly basis, but right now I'm I'm feeling good about several options. And even Kyle Ryan, the velocity is getting back to normal. I think the command is inching there. I don't think he's quite there yet, but you can see it working out in the next week. I'm counting seven arms right now that I'm not scared of throwing. And I think yeah. if you were to ask us the same question, even three, four weeks ago, we would really have to try and figure out who do we actually trust. And maybe we could come up with three guys with Tapera, Wick, and Jeffress. That that list has grown to this point. And I think it's a testament to the work that Hadibi's done. And maybe to some degree, having Ross uh, allow these guys to get higher leverage situations, even though personally... I may not be for it, but I can see some of the logic in doing so.
0: Yeah, I think they've done a good job. And this was pretty much what we were hoping for. And, you know, do you have five guys that are lights out? Like, no question, right? Like, you know, no. But, like, really all we were hoping for was by the time we got to the real stretch run here, the the most meaningful games that they were going to play, and then ultimately the playoffs— That Ross and Hadavi were going to have a, you know, somewhat large pool of guys to figure out how to piece games together, right? And especially with what's going on in this rotation, it's just very important that they have that. And I think that they do. Uh, You know, some of these guys are varied in how much you trust them and the success that they're going to have and the situations that they can come in. But like you said, I think that that group of guys, where if you're managing, just how do we get outs. Here. I, I think it's a it's a pretty sizable group and I think from where we started this season it's a very pleasant place to be like I definitely don't think that this bullpen is going to be the downfall of yeah. this team especially when you're in the playoffs and you don't you, you know you're able to use guys more and you're able to sort of condense things down to that group that you really really trust I, I think they're in a, they're in a pretty good spot yeah. and I, I again like I I think that's a testament to the work that they've done and like you were saying whether it's it's Hottavy pushing for it or Ross choosing to use some of these guys, there have been some times where it's felt a little uncomfortable. Right. And, you know, we talked early on about Underwood being one of those guys where, it, it, you know, he was giving up too many home runs in those early outings. The command didn't look too sharp, but they stuck with him and they, they kept letting him get those outings and they seem to be bearing the fruit of that. And that's kind of true of a lot of these guys that, you know, at first it was like, let's see what this guy's got. Let's put him into a no risk spot and just sort of keep inching it up in terms of the leverage and the situation and the hitters you're asking him to get out. And it's really paid off for a lot of these guys. And they have a nice little bullpen that they built together.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's preview this upcoming series against the Milwaukee Brewers in Milwaukee. The first game on Friday that starts at 7.10 p.m. Central. We have your boy, John Lester, on the mound, who is 2-2 two two with a 5.8 ERA. He'll be facing Brandon Woodruff for Milwaukee. Woodruff has great stuff. He has a high velo. He has multiple pitches. Probably the best starting pitcher on Milwaukee. On the year, he's 2-3 with a 3.91 ERA. On Saturday, we have another night game. This one starts instead at 6.10 p.m. Central. Kyle Hendricks on the mound for the Cubs with a 5-4 record, a 3.41 ERA. He'll be facing former Cub, the lefty Brett Anderson, who is 2-3 with a 4.64 ERA. To finalize that three-game set, we have Alec Mills back on the mound for the Cubs, who is four and three with a four-point-seven-four ERA. He'll be facing Milwaukee's Adrian Hauser, who is one and four with a five-point-four-eight ERA. We have the final standings: Cubs are up three games on St. Louis. St. Louis is nineteen and eighteen. They split a doubleheader on Thursday against Detroit. The Cubs are 26 and 19, and they are also five games up of the Milwaukee Brewers, who are 19 and 22. That Cubs win on Thursday put them ahead of the Reds now, six and a half games. The Reds are 19 and 25. I just want to say it because I love seeing it. Pittsburgh in the cellar, 14 and 27, 10 games out. Hate to see it. So, what I'm looking for this series is Alc Mills in that last start. Maybe he can continue to look good, just be serviceable. Also, I think the most important part of the series though since we're on that pitching focus is John Lester. You want to see John rebound after that bad start and the the post game quotes disturbed so many people. maybe they're being misinterpreted, but John just looked defeated and so you want to see him get some confidence, get some of that hard work paying off that he's been talking about. And last but not least, we say it every series now, but Javi. Get Javi going. Wilson's looked better. KB looked better on Thursday. Good signs to see. Nico looked good. Maybe he'll get some more plate appearances. But this team is going to ride with Javi, man. If David Ross is going to be using him in the cleanup spot or the third spot all the time, then got, got to get him going. 15 more games left.
0: Yeah, I I think it's it's pretty simple for me. I mean, I need John to be good for my soul, Brendan, that for my heart, my, I soul. my soul. I, I need him. He doesn't have to pitch eight shutout innings. I just a uh, quality start, pick up the W. I, I need it. I I can't handle what happened last time. I just can't. Uh, and yeah, I mean, God, and uh, those quotes were, were enough bad. to, I know, yeah, put me over the edge. Tell I I can't it. have that. So. Um, that's number one. And number two is KB and Javi. I, I think that, you know, as we've talked about a lot, I know, I know we talk about this a lot, but we talk about it a lot because this team is in a position to make the playoffs. They're in a position to win the division and you can mess around in these playoffs. It's going to be weird, right? It's an eight-team field. You might be playing somebody really strange in that first round. Like, the Cubs are, uh, I think, a half game behind the Braves right now for that second seed, Uh, but the seven and eight seeds right now in this NL field are the Marlins and the Giants. (laughs) So, it's weird, right? And so, What's so important about the Cubs situation, and so important, especially that they started 13 and 3, is it's all given them the ability to figure stuff out. Right, It's given them the ability to work through the fact that two of their five starters coming into the season have been dealing with injuries basically the entire time. It's given them the room to work through a bullpen that was pieced together piece by piece and with band-aids and stuff like that, and guys that needed time to make adjustments and, and work through some things. That has worked, right? We've seen some stuff in the rotation work. One of the things it also allows them, and their position allows them, is to sort of deal with the fact that two of their stars have been really bad for this you know 45 game stretch and what I want to see going forward is those guys hit because if you can get Javi and KB going now you know Rizzo isn't having his best season like it's 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 weird all over the place right and I you know it's hard you can't expect Ian Happ to be playing at Mike Trout's level for the entire season which he did for you know a good portion of it right but you're likely going to get into the playoffs. You're likely going to have the ability to start two guys in those series that can compete with anybody, right? In you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. If you can get those two guys going, there is legitimately no reason not to think that this team can't win the whole thing, right? And I know watching this offense at times and some of the stuff that happens with this team, it, it feels you know not like at all. It feels a little crazy to say that, right? But That's what's so important with this team and why we talk about it so much. Though Chris Bryan and Javi Baez are two of the stars on this team. If you can get them going somewhere over the course of these next 15 games going into this these playoffs, there is literally no reason that this team can't make an extreme amount of noise in the playoffs. And maybe they can do it otherwise, but it's going to be very hard to get through some of these other teams that you're going to run up against. So That's pretty much it. I need John to be good for my soul and for his soul and KB and Javi getting going at all is massive for this team. and just sort of changes that, that whole outlook. So that's pretty much what it is. Uh, but on the whole, you know, this team's in a good spot. Uh, they're a half game behind the Braves for that second spot, uh, currently winning the division by three games, like you said, Brendan, and a real chance to, you know, I, I don't know that they could eliminate Milwaukee this weekend, certainly, right? But you, Milwaukee's on the outside looking in right now, and I'm really sick of them, over the last few years, just in a general sense, and, you know, I feel like we've had a good number of these series over the last couple years where the Cubs have had a chance to, not eliminate someone, but really bury them and, like, help to bury them, and they haven't come through in a lot of them, right, obviously. Let's do it this weekend. Let's just sweep the Brewers at Miller Park and just bury them and ruin their season. That sounds really fun, and, like, that's how I would like to spend this weekend, so that's what I think that the Cubs should do. Do they listen to me? I don't know. Probably not. But they should. They should just do that. Just win all the games. That's really simple. All I'm asking the Cubs to do, Brendan, is never lose. Okay? I think that's a pretty reasonable ask. Uh, But no. You've got a chance to, to really make it difficult for the Brewers, and you might as well do it. It strengthens your position as well. And that would be nice to see. So, other than that, I, I think that's what we have for you. Uh, you know, again, a, a really you know kind of up and down series. It felt like it could go either way at a lot of points in this series, but the Cubs come out on top. They still find themselves in first, and they've helped to push the Reds further into danger of missing an eight-team playoff field, which is chef kiss. Beautiful. So hopefully they can keep that going against Milwaukee this weekend. We will, of course, be back with you on Sunday to record and talk to you dropping late Sunday night and early Monday morning after the Cubs and Brewers wrap things up in Milwaukee. As always, we thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you soon and as always go cubs
1: the wait is finally over football is back you might not be at a game this year but you can still be in on the action at bet online bet online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Bluewire, all one word, BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.